started. program in which Frederick Avion, your host, that's me, and the founder of the Order of the Temple of Astarte will trace the books and films that influenced and inspired him to create and develop his unique American system of magic. Now, this follows up, of course, on uh, last week's uh, uh, show on our mission statement. And uh, uh, so what I'm what I'm why I'm doing this tonight, aside from the fact that it's it's a sort of a a Christmas because I'm going to go back into into my into my childhood, which I think I'm still in or I've returned to, and uh, trace some of the original uh, uh, sources of why I ended up doing what I did, and and uh, and uh, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to go through all of this all the way from my all the way from my childhood on up. Uh, and uh, see if we can, uh, if, if, if maybe for the benefit of some of these folks and for new folks that want to know what really want to know what the OTA is all about and why it is what it is and what it what it's trying to do, uh, this will will help you will help you uh, share our vision and understand our our mission mission statement. Okay, so um, now. Now we'll trace the books and the films that influenced and inspired me to create and develop uh, this unique American system of magic. Now I grew up, I grew up with the Oz books. You know, that's L. Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz, and and uh, and, and a whole series of them. And uh, and of course, uh, I didn't know it when I was a kid, but Baum was a theosophist and something of an occultist, and his uh, uh, his Oz was laid out. Uh, uh, according to the four elements, and the, you know the Munchkins and the Gillikins and the Quadlings and the uh, who were the other ones? Uh, let's see. The the Munchkins were in the in the in the north. They were the blue people, and then the Quadlings were in the south. They were the kind of the reddish people, and the the Gillikins were the yellow people, and uh, and then uh, in the in the uh, center was the the Emerald City people, and they were all green. Uh, so he laid this thing out in a sort of an occult sort of a way, and uh, and uh, then I graduated from the Oz books when I when I got a little older, and I, I got into Burroughs Mars books, and that's uh, that's you know John Carter of Mars, and uh, Burroughs was also very influenced by Theosophy, and he and he uh, uh, his his version of Mars was. Uh, uh, was uh, it had some occult aspects to it too, uh, and then uh, I, I, and when I got into into my teenage years, I started reading planet stories and amazing stories. 
Uh, I developed a fascination with Richard Shaver's high-tech Lemurian survivor stories. They were kind of like Paul Casey's version of of high-tech Atlantis and and Lemuria. Uh, And uh, that's where I got a real uh, feeling for for, uh, uh, the idea that we had an ancient, that ancient civilizations that existed long before we thought history began. And I got uh, I got that idea, um, and then uh, in my early college days, I went to college. Uh, managed to to I managed to flunk out of uh, out of uh, college and and beat the draft by joining the army. But before I, I got flunked out of college, I was watching such films, and these two films I'm going to mention. Uh, I'm sure had quite an influence on me as far as my conceptions of magic were concerned. And one of them was Jean Cocteau's Orpheus. Now, this was about 1950. And Jean Cocteau was a, was a French genius. Then eventually, they, uh, you know, the, the Holy Blood, Holy Grail people said that he was the last, the last uh, grand master of the Priory of Zion. Now, whether that was ever true or not, I, I don't. I'm not, I'm not sure. But he was a wonderful poet and a filmmaker, and uh, and and and, uh, and just uh, he created this this Orpheus, and with the Orphic the 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 Orpheus myth in modern dress, set in Paris right after the war, and uh, and uh, did the whole thing with an old movie camera, and created his own special effects. And, and just uh, this was a this was a marvelous marvelous film, uh, and and it was what what it what Orpheus gave me was the idea, and it stuck in my mind the whole for for years and years and years that magic is all around us. It isn't just in some uh, strange other dimension. It's we're we're right in the middle of it, and and magic can go on all around us. And uh, and then we can get into these other dimensions, uh, and 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 that these other dimensions are, are really not much different than than ours, uh, than than our than our world. And uh, and he did this by walking through mirrors, uh, and that's when that became an important aspect of, in my mind. Then the next one, the next film that really really made an impression on me, and uh, it was Orson Welles. Black Magic, and this was uh, this was based upon Alexander Dumas' uh, version of Count Cagliostro and the Affair of the Diamond Necklace. Now, I got to tell you the truth that that Dumas really, really uh, changed history all around and 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 made Cagliostro into a more sinister character than he really was, and uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, he did the same thing with the Three Musketeers and and and, and changing history. In fact, uh, I remember uh, reading that uh, a a French uh, newspaper man once uh, interviewed Dumas and said, and said, Monsieur Dumas, it has been said that you have raped history. And Dumas replied, Yes, that may be so, but I have produced a beautiful offspring. And uh, and. Anyway, in in this this Orson Welles version of uh, Dumas' uh, story about Cagliostro, Cagliostro is a marvelous natural hypnotist, and he runs across Anton Mesmer, who is the man 
who is credited with originally developing hypnotism, at least they called it mesmerism in those days, but but uh, the two of them end up having a duel, a hypnotic duel, and Mesmer gets the better of Coliostro in the end. But uh, during this film, I became completely convinced, of course, Wells' marvelous talent has something to do with that, I'm sure. I became completely convinced that magic was, was hypnosis, was hyp- hypnotic. That that was really the the, the source of magical uh, magical power. And and by the way, if you if you want to, um, uh, if that film's available on DVD, I don't know whether it is or not. But if it is, I'm certainly going to get a copy of it. But it is it is it's a remarkable film. Uh, and uh, and so uh, that those two things. Uh, Cocteau and his idea of of going through mirrors and other dimensions. Uh, from Orpheus and 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 uh, and Orson Welles' uh, tremendous reflecting Coliostro's uh, alleged hypnotic power, uh, those two things were quite an influence on me. After that, uh, as I said, I managed to uh, I managed to to get myself uh, my grades in college dropped dropped to the point where I was going to get drafted. So, uh, being a kind of an adventurous type, I said I'm not going to. I'm not going to let him draft me. I'm going to enlist. So I went to the army recruiter, uh, uh, and and I and I asked him. I said, he said, "What do you got that's tough?" And he looked at me kind of strangely, like, "What is this kid?" Uh, and and he uh, handed me a little brochure, so showing some guys uh, repelling down the side of a mountain, wearing great big rucksacks, and. And it said, anything, any place, any time, anyhow, Army Special Forces. And I said, that's what I want. So he said, okay, I'll sign you up for it. And in those days, you could go directly to it. And uh, later on, you had to be a, you had to be a sergeant first before they'd let you in. However, um, so I went, uh, you know, to uh, from uh, from uh, there, I went to. to uh, Advanced infantry, infantry, advanced infantry, and then and then on to Fort Benning for jump school, and then on to Fort Bragg for special forces for three years, and from there to OCS to Officer Candidate School, uh, and uh, and from there back to special forces in the reserve, uh, and and I ended up uh, being a, being a captain in the reserve and running an A team in Florida. And uh, so we had a lot of fun chasing Castro's Cubans around through the Everglades. <laughs> but uh, um, anyway, uh, that that was my 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 army uh, career, and 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 which I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, then then I went back to school. I went back to college, and uh, majored in advert in in advertising design, and because I had some talent as an artist, and at least wanted to develop. And uh, managed to get a degree in advertising design from Florida State. But I was there. While I was there, I also uh, uh, took a course in creative writing from from a very good uh, a very good teacher uh, who had hit Saturday Evening Post several times. And he said, he said, well, he said, you know, you're gonna be you're gonna be in RSC Magazine. That's the kind of stuff you write. Uh, because I was a scuba diver and a sailor, you know, and I, and I had been a paratrooper. So had this guy, by the way. Uh, and so he he looked at my stuff, and when I was in his creative writing class, he says, Argosy Magazine, that's what you're going to be in. And sure enough, he was right. And I had a whole series, and it was, it was, no sooner was I out of college and, and 
and the work, uh, and working for Ringling, Ringling Brothers Circus, by the way. And then, then I was then I was hitting Argosy Magazine regularly with a series of underwater Caribbean adventure stories. So um, what that led to was um, was a study of voodoo because I was writing Caribbean adventure stories, you know, taking place in the Bahamas and Belize and places like that. And I, and, and, uh, and voodoo was, was the particular magical system that, that, um, you know, that, that dominated that area. So I read all the, uh, I read all the books by, uh, Zora Hurston uh, she was an American black lady who went down to Haiti and studied voodoo, and so I uh, read all those books and became fairly uh, fairly up on, uh, on on voodoo or voodoo as it's properly pronounced. And uh, I realized in the course of that 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 the uh, the voodooists they were also using a form of hypnosis, and this became very very obvious. And uh, uh, that uh, you know the the, uh, the whole operative the operative thing in in Buddha and voodoo voodoo ceremonies is um, what they call becoming the horse of the god or the horse of the ogun, in which the um, the the, uh, the priest the papaloi or the or the mambo the priestess uh, goes into a trance induced by by drumming and chanting. Uh, goes into a trance and channels, as we would use the term, channels the spirit, and and actually the spirit takes them over, and then they start uh, talking, and, uh, the spirit, the spirit, and they start throwing out oracles, and and uh, and and uh, they start uh, channeling the, the these these voodoo ogoons. Well, uh, these these. Voodoo ogoons also have something else that really relates to our version of magic. They have little sigils, which they call veves. And these sigils, I later found out, are very, very similar to the sigils in design and all that we use for for the uh, the ceremonial magic system I eventually became an expert at, and that's Goetia. Uh, But uh, uh, I, I realized this at this time, and this was before... Before I finally left for uh, left Florida for for Hollywood, having had a couple of uh, uh, New York have a couple of, of thrillers published uh, novels, and I had my Argosy stories, so I decided to go out to Hollywood and see if I couldn't write movies, uh, which uh, a lot of a lot of New York writers you know, eventually try to do, and I uh, got out there and uh, Hollywood and and. Uh, I had a you know uh, a lot of a lot of early adventures uh, uh, working in a prop shop, cleaning out the the bubble machine that Lawrence Welk was using, <laughs> various things like that. Uh, but but I got a good a very 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 good agency, and, and in fact the, uh, the the agent that uh, that I had was was Steve McQueen's agent, and uh, so I had a a very good agency, that, and I started working on uh, doing treatments for screenplays. And uh, the, uh, at that time, I was, uh, I was uh, uh, you know, living in a, in a Hollywood swingers apartment on, on the Sunset Strip. And, uh, oh, boy, I had a lot of, a lot of uh, adventures. Uh, and, 
at one, uh, which I'm not going to go. Some of the, some of them are. Uh, about, I'm, I'm, I'm going to eventually do a book called The Wizard of Law about myself, and I'm going to interview myself in my other persona and do the book that way. So that way, uh, you know, I, I I can fictionalize everything and uh, and uh, avoid being sued. But I got a lot of interesting stuff going on at that time. However, uh, I developed. Uh, an illness at that time. Now, what this illness was, I didn't, I didn't really. It was misdiagnosed as a duodenal ulcer, and I thought, oh God, a duodenal ulcer—that's a sissy disease. That—that's a disease for for neurotic, uh, uh, you know, for neurotic. Uh, 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 nerds to get, or something like that. Uh, people who who uh, who uh, you're not not a not a macho uh, you know adventurer like me. I I I was too I was too macho to to accept the idea of an ulcer. They were thought to be at that time psychosomatic. So um, I decided, okay, if it's psychosomatic and it's an ulcer, I'm going to use hypnotism and I'm going to cure myself. Uh, of it, so I started studying hypnotism and self-hypnotism, and I got a book by Leslie Lacron, which I still recommend, by the way. It's called Self-Hypnotism: Its Technique and Use in Daily Living. I got that book and I mastered that, and I mastered self-hypnosis and started trying to cure my ulcer uh, with hypnosis. And of course, also a little bit of diet and and uh, and, and uh, whatever, but primarily using this self-hypnosis. Well. It wasn't working very well, and I, and and, uh, and then you know from self hypnosis uh, that got me into uh, got me into uh, reading uh, um, oh it got me into reading uh, uh, the Tibetan yoga books uh, by Evan that were edited by Evans Wentz and uh, Tibetan yoga and secret doctrines, and I started reading Carl Jung and. Uh, and and I got I, I started and the deeper I got into hypnosis, the more uh, spiritual I was starting to become, uh, and and uh, the more interested I was in in, in the supernatural, and in uh, and in uh, and and I want to mention too that that before I ever had this illness, I had also read another couple of books that that had have had eventually had an influence on me. One of them was the Saragossa Manuscript by Jan Potocki. Uh This was written back in the in the and published back in the early 1800s. Uh, and um, this uh, book had uh, uh, Kabbalah and and magic mirrors and uh, and quite a bit of uh, and, and and it really had an influence on on my later uh, my later ideas about magic. I also had. I uh, had a girlfriend back in uh, back before I left for, for Florida. Uh, I had a girlfriend who uh, was born on Halloween and thought she was a might be a witch and wanted a book on magic. And I had bought her uh, I had bought her uh, Paul Christian's History and Practice of Magic. And before I gave it to her, just to find out what she was getting into, I read the Initiation into the Pyramids uh, in that book, which later became. Uh, the start of our of our OTA Crater Apollo type system, and uh, so that all happened before I had my illness. Now, but 
as he got into this illness and got more and more into hypnosis, trying trying to conquer this uh, this guanal ulcer. Then, in the meantime, I was working on a screenplay with uh, with a uh, with a person who was frankly uh, it was a, it was my treatment. It was a treatment I'd written, and we were developing it as a screenplay. And I just couldn't get along with this guy at all. And I finally had to just just get out of the project, partly because I was sick and all that, and also because I, I just couldn't possibly work with this guy. Anyway, that was uh, um, so that was a, that was a disappointment. But uh, um, at, at a certain point along this line, a friend of mine gave me a copy of Richard Cavendish's The Black Arts. Now, Richard Cavendish was a minister's son and a British scholar, and he wrote a survey of medieval, Renaissance, and and modern uh, modern ceremonial magic called the Black Arts, and it was very very comprehensive, and it dealt with in everything from Elephas Levy to on through to Crowley, and uh, and this. When I read this book, and here I had been reading all this, this stuff on voodoo, and I had been studying self-hypnosis, and I had all this this uh, and this this background, I read the Cavendish's The Black Arts, and I realized that this was where I was. This the Western ceremonial magic was what I was really going to do. So I, uh, and by the way, I still recommend Cavendish's The Black Arts. It's a very very good uh, survey of of. Uh, the whole ceremonial magic thing. But one of the things that, that Cavendish underlined, and it really stuck in my mind, that Baal and Astarte, uh, the, 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 the code referred to in the Galatia the Lamegaton as Baal and Ashtaroth, were actually ancient Canaanite gods whom Solomon had been involved with, who had been demonized by the rabbis and the priests and had ended up as uh, as a uh, as a pair of, of demons Baal being the being the king and 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 Astarte being the queen and uh started right there and then to try to 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 find out how to how to actually get in contact with these two spirits i was fascinated by the idea that they were originally Canaanite gods, and that this was uh, uh, the idea. This this was like uh, this was really like something out of the Arabian Nights, and I and I was very very fascinated by it. And along with this, I read a book uh, by Omar Garrison called Tantra: The Yoga of Sex. And this in this book, along with several other things. He uh, revealed the uh, the, uh, the Hindu method primarily of scrying on dark mirrors uh, at your own reflection on dark mirrors to bring up previous incarnations, visions of previous incarnations. And uh, I and I thought, having been reading young, and and also uh, with my with my previous uh, reading of Vudan and uh, noticing that these. Galatia sigils were very similar to the to the uh, to the Vudan Veves. I realized that hey, you know, you don't just you didn't just just uh, previous incarnations that you could do with this. 
you could you could bring up visions of these spirits because they are connected to the subjective mind. I already realized that they would that they 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 are a form of Jungian archetype of the collective unconscious, and and uh, and doing all this in a hypnotic trance, uh, this would work. So I experimented with it. Sure enough, it did. And so I got in contact with Mayhill and Astarte, and that's what started it all off. Well, so about this time, um, I, I went to the doctor. I still couldn't couldn't handle handle this so-called ulcer, and, and they they reexamined me and and X-rayed me and everything, and said, "Well, we don't know. We we were wrong. We don't have a duodenal ulcer. What you have is an atrophied gallbladder." And uh, you're going to have to have surgery, but we can't operate on you because you're too inflamed. And and uh, so I had to use my hypnosis to get myself uninflamed. And then it, it did work for that. And then I finally had surgery and got the got the this big this this clump of rocks out of me, uh, which had to, we had to break them apart with a chisel. And so what I did was I took I dried them out. And uh, varnished them, and I have them in a little uh, in a little uh, velvet bag. So uh, you know that's the uh, you know, that's a that's a holy relic. You see, that's the Grand Master's gallstones. That's a little old one to those. But anyway, um, anyway, so I did recover. I recovered from uh, from this, uh, uh, and and then after I recovered, uh, I looked back on on all of this and I thought, well, was I completely crazy while I was while I was sick like this? Or uh, I wonder if this will still work. And sure enough, I got my equipment together and and tried it, and it still worked. And then I got uh, I was living down at a beach at Manhattan Beach at the time, so so I you know go along the beach and and uh, recruited a a couple of surf buddies and a few steward eye and and uh and and tried it out on them and sure enough it did and so uh uh about that time i i met a a fellow who who was also interested in what i was doing and uh we formed a kind of a partnership and we decided to start the and to to incorporate a church and and, and 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 which would sponsor our order, and we would have the order of the Temple of Astarte, which we did, and uh, and uh, this was uh, so we got started and got ourselves a big old temple in Pasadena, a big old Amy Simple McPherson Church. Uh, it's still there, by the way, uh, and uh, and we. Uh, not, not Amy Simple McPherson anymore. It's, uh, but uh, it's bright yellow. It's on Lake Avenue. You can see it, right? <laughs> Lake Avenue. The uh, well, anyway, fell in love with one of our one of our young neophyte ladies and married her, and and then I got I got connected with with Fred Adams of Peripheria, and he was the head of this nature uh, this nature cult. Uh, and and it was uh, based on the Eleusinian mysteries, and Fred Adams was really a cultured, marvelously cultured, marvelously ed- well educated, and and articulate magician, and he really knew the classic uh, the classics and 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 especially the Greek philosophers and and uh, uh, his his cult was. To a large extent, inspired by Robert Graves' *The White Goddess*, and that's and that's a book I had also read myself. And 
you know, so we got, I got, we we all joined those of us, uh, the, the the OTA. We all joined Farfaria, and they became a kind of our sister, our sister lodge, and they did seasonal ceremonies, and they did seasonal ceremonies based on the uh, Demeter-Persephone uh, cycle, and uh, so. Uh, yeah. I, uh, you know, we we participated in that, and and my my uh, my ex-wife, Sister Artemis, and she says, she said, Pope, she says, you know, we need seasonal ceremonies too. We're the temple of Astarte, and 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 so why don't why don't we uh, we have seasonal ceremonies? And I said, you know, that's a wonderful idea, and and uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, and at that time I had gone back to school in the GI Bill. Uh, to get a master's, eventually get a master's degree in cultural anthropology, California State University in Northridge. And so I had the access to this wonderful library out there while I was studying anthropology. And so I started researching uh, to do to do seasonal ceremonies for Baal and Astarte, uh, for the Canaanite tradition. And I, I this became a real, um, a real, Literally, a quest for the Holy Grail is what it ended up being, and that's uh, uh, so. Um, and Fred helped me out on that, and, and and one of the things Fred pointed me out, pointed out to me, was um, a book called From Ritual to Romance, and was written by a British anthropologist Jesse Weston, uh, published in 1920, and you might it's available in Dover Books published it. And I think uh, Anchor Books also has a version of it. There's a copy of the Anchor Books version uh, sitting on uh, Colonel Kurtz's uh, night table in Apocalypse Now. And if you next time you see Apocalypse Now, uh, right before Colonel Kurtz gets uh, assassinated, uh, you, you look look there on his night table and you'll see this copy of uh, From Ritual to Romance. Anyway, uh, this I this this really. Uh, uh, sent us off. Now, her source, Jesse Weston's primary source, was another one of mine, was The Golden Bow by Fraser. Now, The Golden Bow was a study of of uh, ancient gods and how they, uh, they, uh, they, the, the ancient gods, especially the, uh, the dying gods, uh, and, uh, and uh, all the various... Uh, Various gods like Isis and Osiris and Natus and Adonis and all of these uh, these uh, ancient gods uh, and pagan gods that eventually, eventually, and, and this is what Jesse Weston really picked up on that the, the Holy Grail legend started in ancient Canaan, and what she discovered and what really really got us going was that that. There is a spring up in, in Lebanon. There is a sp- there's a there's a place called a faka in which a spring comes out of a cave in the rocks, and a waterfall drops down down hundreds and hundreds of feet into this gorge, and and it runs down all the way down to the ocean to the Mediterranean, and and there's a hematite layer up on the on the uh, on the gorge, and when the spring rains get to a certain height. The river runs red, and all the way to the ocean, the river runs red. And this this was thought to be symbolic of the god, of the blood of the dying god. 
all the way back to the days of Bala and Astarte. And so Jesse Weston said, this is the origin of the Holy Grail. Now, what she was basing this on is another uh, ancient document, which we, we eventually found, called the Nasein document. And what this was was a Gnostic Christian document, probably uh, some school of Valentinians, uh, who um, had written, had theorized that Jesus and, and, well, eventually, Jesus uh, was the last of the dying gods, the last of a long line. And they started way back with Isis and Osiris and went through Addis and Adonis all the way through, uh, and even Hercules. Uh, and so Jesus was the last of the dying gods, according to this Nicene document. Now, this Nicene document, the only place you can find it, the only surviving copy of it, was in the hands of a Christian bishop, by the name of Hippolytus, he had it, and he and he transcribed the whole thing in his refutation of all heresies. <coughs> actually, he didn't refute them. He just he actually he did more he did more to support them than he did to refute them. But we owe him uh, we owe Hippolytus the uh, copy. Now uh, that's what Jesse Weston used when in her Ritual to Romance book. And and so she's tracing when I'm when she's tracing the Holy Grail now she's tracing the medieval Grail. We're talking about the the Grail that 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 went over to southern France and then over to Glastonbury, and and was in the, you know, ended up in the King Arthur stories. That's what she's talking about. And she's right because the Nicene document carries this all the way through uh, to to. Uh, uh, the, to the Valentinian Gnostic uh, magician preacher uh, Marcus, whose cult eventually ended up in the Rhone River Valley over in southern France, and and Marcus and his priestess did communion, uh, replicating the Afaka idea. She poured uh, water from a clear glass pitcher into a clear glass goblet that he held with. Uh, Concentrated wine in the in the stem, and that and that clear water would hit the concentrated the wine powder and turn red. Those of you who have been through the Golden Dawn will remember the chemical change. This is where this comes from. But anyway, uh, the, so this replicated the the Afaka uh, experience, and uh, and Jesse Weston theorized that uh, that uh, the medieval Grail legends all started with this. And she was probably right. And now, from that, I went to the Canaanite, the old Rosham Ra tablets, which uh, I got a book by uh, Professor Gibson, which had the old uh, the old transcripts of them. And Gaster also had had uh, uh, um, uh, a version of the Canaanite legends. And um, there's now. I want to mention if you want if you want a, a, a version of the Canaanite legends that are, that are readable that don't have all the lacunae and all the you know the the uh, the endless footnotes that the scholarly versions have. Uh, an author by the name of Coogan has written a uh, has a book called Stories of Ancient Canaan, 
and this is a very nice little book, and it has the 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 uh, the ball the ball and and enough uh, uh, legends that we base our seasonal ceremonies on, plus Prince uh, Akat uh, and and also King Caret. It has the myths that, that we uh, that we used along with. Uh, uh, Jesse Weston's ideas and and uh, and Hippolytus's ideas and a little bit of Sancho Niapo, the 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 the, uh, the later Hellenized uh, Phoenician philosophers' ideas that we that we use to put together this this uh, uh, these seasonal ceremonies of ours. So we also when we did them, we also did the seasonal ceremonies. Uh, we, we we hermeticized them. Made them made them uh, correspond with alchemy, and uh, and we solarized them uh, because, as you probably know, uh, that the hermetic system, as it began to uh, to to assert itself in magic and and even in Kamala eventually, everything ended up uh, being solarized, and the same thing happened with Christianity. And this is Christmas Day. Uh, uh, you know, right now we're we're on, we're talking on Christmas Christmas night. Uh, Jesus, as you know, was transformed into the last of the sun gods, and so he's. This is why we uh, why he's born on on December twenty fifth, and uh, and supposedly really wasn't, but that's when he's supposed to be born. So anyway, uh, these these Canaanite seasonal ceremonies, and I, I'd say Coogan. Coogan's uh, stories of ancient Canaan, and I'm, I'm sure you still get that. That 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 gives you an excellent handle on on uh, these original source material. Uh, and so we were now. There are a few more things that we need to mention here. Is that Solomon, King Solomon, and this is why this is important to Solomonic magic, and this is why Solomonic magic was what started us off in this. King Solomon. The, the Jewish king uh, was built also built a temple to the goddess Astarte, and King Solomon and his Song of Solomon is obviously uh, really you know dedicated to uh, to the goddess, and that by the way is very influential in the Zohar. Now, uh, so um, so this means that we. Uh, with our with our uh, Baal and Astarte mythos and our and, and and also the connection with Solomon and his temple means that we were were developing something very very close to uh, to the, the Masonic legend and I knew about I'd read Manly Hall I'd been reading Manly Hall I wasn't a Mason at this time but I'd been reading Manly Hall and I'd been reading about the Hermetic legend and about Solomon. And I realized that we did. We we were uh, we were actually uh, creating something that that had, a, had quite a, an affinity with with, uh, the, with the Masonic legend. And uh, now we meanwhile we needed an initiation, of course. Well, even before I met Fred and Ferry, we needed an initiation for the OTA. And I read through um, uh, the Golden Dawn at that time. I found it a bit. Boring. Although I don't know, I mean, I, I, I really appreciate it. I learned to appreciate the Golden Dawn, but but at the time I thought, oh gosh, this is ponderous, and and, and also I don't think we 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 can do this. 
And but then I remembered that I'd read Paul Christian's uh, uh, history and practice uh, of magic back uh, before he even came out to California, and read the initiation into the pyramids. And I thought that's what we need. And I, and I went and got another copy of that. And uh, so we used that initiation of the pyramids in Paul Christian's history and practice of magic as the model for our our uh, OTA initiation, which right now it, it, it's in the second degree position, that original initiation. And we, we developed a... Now, the reason why it's in the second... Uh, in the, it, 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 is because Paul Christian's um, initiation into the pyramids is a condensation, a French condensation of a German uh, quasi-Masonic rite called Crater Rapoa, which is a seven-degree system based, uh, compiled by by, uh, uh, by a German uh, committee led by uh, Baron von Koppen, who uh, 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 back in 1770, they came out with this. And it was everything they could collect on ancient Alexandrian Hermeticism. They tried to collect everything they could to create this this hermetic um, seven hermetic degrees, which they called the degrees of the ancient Egyptian priests, and uh, this was referred to as Kratarapoa. Now, um, Kratarapoa has a secret meaning, which uh, I'm not going to reveal, but but uh, it it was originally that was it was subtitled the initiations of the Egyptian priests, and it was all based on on these various accounts of what was going on in Alexandria back in the first century. So these seven degrees uh, were all, the French uh, took them and, and they squeezed them all down into one big degree that, that Paul Christian called the initiation of the pyramids. And, uh, and John Yarker, over in England, eventually squeezed them down into his right of Memphis and Mizraim and called them the Sage of Mithras, and that became the 64th degree there. And so, what we discovered around about the little, little after we had been doing this initiation of ours for for a couple of years, this this uh, based on the initiation into the pyramids, we discovered that that. This was this condensed version of the of the uh, of the Craterapoa, and we discovered the Craterapoa, uh, or at least the the English version of the French version of the German version of all seven degrees, was resided in a book by Manley Hall called Freemasonry of the Ancient Egyptians. And when I got that, and I had several hints leading to that. When I got that. Then I realized that we had the whole Craterapoa system here, and we had backed our way into it, stumbled into it, uh, and so we decided we're going to go ahead and we're going to do all seven degrees. We'll, we'll spread it out, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll do all seven degrees, which which we have since been doing. And, uh, and uh, this has expanded our system greatly. And one of the things that we did uh, in the course of expansion we had developed a a, a three-day Holy Guardian Angel retreat. Now, this was on originally based upon uh, Louis T. Collings, who was our senior advisor for a while, who, oh, Louis, 
had written a book uh, called uh, Secret, The Magical Curriculum of the Secret Order, GBG. Great Brotherhood of God, he said, actually, or the Great Brotherhood of the Gnosis, uh, which was originally a, a Charlie Russell organization, uh, one of Crowley's uh, students. And uh, not 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 the Jehovah's Witness Russell. This was this was Charlie. This was uh, uh, this was Charlie Russell, who eventually uh, uh, ended up in Santa Monica, uh, writing his memoirs in in Mandarin Chinese. This guy is very obscure, but he had the, uh, the, the 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 secret brotherhood of God, and they had a very nice three day Holy Guardian Angel retreat. Uh, now, old Louis. Uh, Old Louis uh, Cohen, who was for a while our senior advisor, um, he uh, he had some very strange ideas about about uh, making your making your sex partner your holy guardian angel, which was kind of ridiculous. But but anyway, they had the idea of doing the 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 HGA retreat in three days intensive. Really, really good. Uh, Coley Ostro uh, did it in 45 days, which was which wasn't practical anymore. And the original Sacred Magic of Avermel and the Maj, that was anywhere up to 18 weeks, and that's certainly not practical these days. So we thought the three-day would be a very good thing. So we we redesigned uh, the GBG version, and and had had uh, our people doing every. Uh, every path on the tree of life, going all the way up, following um, uh, following the snake, the path of the snake, all the way up, and doing uh, doing a ritual for every path using a tarot card, and uh, and it worked out very very well. And that so that became uh, the third degree of Craterapoa. So we ended up finally ended up calling our version of Craterapoa Craterapoa Reformato because we were naturally we were taking elements that we knew we needed to do like the HGA retreat and uh, and uh, the Goetia requirement all of these various things and putting them in different degrees that weren't in the original Craterapoa so. So we had to rearrange. We kept kept everything, all the ordeals the Crater Report, kept it all, but but we rearranged them, and and so we call it the Crater Report Reformado, uh, our our version of it. But anyway, the Holy Guardian Angel Retreat finally, we went we went beyond Abramelin because I I have to tell you, and I know that a lot of people are not going to agree with me on this. But the sacred magic of Amramel and the Maj is not the original source on the Holy Guardian Angel operation. It just is not. The original source is the is the is the Hermetic Corpus itself, and the three books of philosophy of Henry Cornelius Agrippa, and that goes into the Pauline art in the Lamegaton. Those are the, those are the original sources of the of the retreat, and you don't have one holy guardian angel; you have three of them. And this is something that, uh, well, there have been all sorts of books coming out recently on on the holy guardian angel operation, and none of them seem to be aware of this. But the original, which was in the Hermetic treatises, it's it's it is reprised in in, in Agrippa. And then it goes directly to the Pauline art, and so um, that's what we do. 
and we do it in the in the, the crack report in third degree. Now, um, one of the uh, 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 very very influential, two of the very influential books in our in our uh, training program is, of course, Franz Barden's Initiation into Hermetics, and that's in fact we 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 are so uh, we're so uh, indebted to Barden. That uh, and, and that we uh, we actually we recommend that our students all all have the first and second volumes of Barden. The second one is Barden's version of Invocation, which is very similar to to our to our Goetia uh, work. And uh, so we're very much influenced by Barden. Now Barden, um, uh, his his methods are very, very similar to ours. In fact, I think we have improved to a degree on how to how to teach Barden because Barden was a natural clairvoyant. He knew what you had to do, but he didn't know how to teach it. And so he had you just doing uh, visualizations the hard way without, uh, without the, uh, the, te- the techniques and the yoga techniques and the self-hypnotic techniques that we were able to, 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 to add. So... So I believe our our uh, visualization techniques and our and our uh, version of Barden is probably superior to uh, for learning superior to Barden himself. Although we very very strongly recommend his books. Now, uh, one of the things that I that that I that I want to want to want to uh, before we go any further on this, I make sure that you understand that Galatia, Although uh, I wrote uh, the Book of Solomon's Magic. Which has uh, the whole, all of the Goetic spirits in there, and in uh, various accounts of doing different ones, but we don't really emphasize in our work. We don't emphasize other Goetic spirits besides Baal and Astarte. What we what we what we require, as far as Goetia is concerned, that phase of our training, is that the the candidate uh, receive. The, the lady, the ladies receive Astarte, and the men receive Baal, and they operate and they receive. They both, they both, they both. They have to do both. And the whole idea of this is to bring the god and the goddess back up out of your deep collective unconscious, and bring them back up and and re enthrone them as the god and the goddess, and and to to to. Uh, and make up for the you know the uh, the spiritual atrocity of demonizing these very 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 important archetypes, and in this sense, what we're doing here and what we intended to do is to make a bridge between the biblical tradition and King Solomon, the biblical tradition, and the the and the pagan community, and because so many people. In in uh, in uh, in recent times, you know, young people have been attracted to pagan various versions of paganism that emphasize the god and the goddess, and especially the goddess, which uh, that we that we 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 felt that that what we could do is uh, knowing the, the deep the secrets of Solomon's magic, and knowing this that we could. We could uh, show them the real old religion and the old religion behind the Bible. And um, in this sense, the father god of the Canaanites was El. And El, that just means God. El. Oh, Ephlamad, 
her ill. And uh, and probably El was also the god, the god of King Solomon, certainly of Hiram of Tyre, and uh, the god of the ten lost tribes of Israel, who were never lost, by the way. They just stayed there when uh, the tribe of Benjamin and Judah were hauled off into captivity. So, um, and El, as, as it turns out, uh, El was was uh, the God, was Jesus' God, and that's the New Testament. New Testament and the New Covenant is is to to, to bring El back and to to supplant Jehovah, who was kind of an upstart who took over from from El, and and uh, and El was the real father, the real father God. Now um, this and El was always called the compassionate, whereas. Yeah, Jehovah, of course, is, is his name is Jealous, as you know, and 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 he was a god of war, and and uh, where El was the compassionate, the god of peace, and so um, um, and El is the father of Baal and Astarte, and and now uh, what I want to point out here is that according to the Nicene document, which we discussed, and and according to our uh, according to our our lights, El and his consort, Lady Asherah of the sea, the great mother goddess of the sky uh, and the sea, um, they preside over this uh, pantheon of gods. And, but Baal and Astarte, are, Baal represents the dying god. And from Osiris right on down through a whole list of them, and and uh, and Astarte represents the eternal goddess who continually, continually uh, is, is incarnated in uh, in the priestess. So uh, this this finally culminates with uh, with Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Finally culminating. Now in uh, in uh, we originally following the crown of Rapola, we originally had. A honey, a honey sacrament for the Holy Grail, which is a seminal sacrament, not a blood sacrament, and and so our when we do our our ceremonies for the solstices, we we have a we have a big uh, a big Grail, uh, which we fill with uh, with honey with honey liquor, and uh, we dance around the circle, and Baal serves everybody, and uh, this. Uh, this is, as I say, is a seminal sacrament, not a blood sacrament. Now, uh, this is recently, uh, and as I say, this comes from the Crateropoa. It's in the Crateropoa, and it's uh, it's also indicated in the Rosham Ra, uh, the early Rosham Ra text. Now, it turns out that just recently this has been confirmed with uh, this book, The Lost Gospel, where uh, this... Christian, Valentinian Christian version of uh, of the story of Joseph and, and, and Asenath is actually an allegory for Jesus and Mary Magdalene, where the sacred marriage takes place in Mary Magdalene's tower, and the Hieros Gamos for sacred marriage, and it's consummated by by the the angel by the archangel Michael, uh, who is actually Jesus. Uh, giving Mary Magdalene a honeycomb, and the two of them share this honeycomb to eat, and and that's that is the symbolic of the sacred marriage, and 
then, by the way, according to the Valentinian Christians, and we and we have been promoting this all the way along, is that the passion of Christ is not the crucifixion. It's not the crucifixion. It is, it is the sacred marriage, the Iris Gamos. And that is the true passion of Christ, according to the Valentinians. And Marcus, the last of the of the uh, the last of the Valentinians, the one who who took the Grail all the way to southern France, Marcus was was a was a Valentinian, and and his priestess, of course, the two of them had this communion that replicated that replicated the Afaka experience. So all of this ties together. And in fact, in the Crater of Poe, it ties together to such an extent that uh, not only is the O.E. Malus, the, the, the honey sacrament, uh, in, the, in, the, in the seventh degree of the Crater of Poe, but uh, the name that Pharaoh gave to, to, uh, to Joseph is used as the name of the propheta in the seventh degree of Crater of Poe. So it appears that von Koppen and his committee of German Masons who put the Greta Rapola together, they were they were they were aware of the uh, Joseph and Asenef uh, manuscript. I, I believe they were. It, it seems to be the case. But in any case, it certainly confirms what we came up with way 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 back uh, many many years before all this was published. Now. Uh, that this is important that everybody knows this because this carries right on through into the King Arthur stories and the King Arthur legends, and and it does this by virtue of a of a strange strange epic by a German knight. Yeah, German knight, a jouster by the name of Wolfram von Essenbach. Wolfram von Essenbach uh, actually. He was a professional. He was a professional jouster. He went from tournament to tournament, and and he was also a poet. And he wrote this uh, this 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 long poem story called the Percival, and and it was about uh, one of the knights of the of the Round Table uh, searching for the Grail, and uh, and. This this is a very mystical mystical uh, uh, thing because uh, Percival he, he finds the Grail King and the Grail Castle, and the Grail in this story is not a cup, it's a green stone, which relates of course to the Emerald Tablet of Hermes Trismegistus and also uh, and and also the stone from the stars that 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 spread moldavite all over Eastern Europe. However, one of the things we need to point out about this is that there was a book which I which I I treasured by two scholars, husband and wife, Kahane and Kahane, and it's called it's called the Hermetic uh, let's see the Hermetic Grail, Hermetic Sources of the Parsifal. This this particular book, and I don't know whether you, you can get it anymore. But uh, we have uh, uh, Jean Rene, uh, who is uh, uh, quite a writer and, and uh, uh, published a number of books through the well. And she wrote an epitome of it in the seventh ray, not one of the current seventh rays, but the old one. We'll republish it. An epitome of, uh, 
of Cahane and Cahane's book, uh, Hermetic Sources of the Parsifal. Um, and uh, she that's in the seventh ray. Anyway, they contend that, that the Parsifal is a hermetic work and that uh, Wolfram Nissenbach was in contact with a hermetic adept uh, from uh, the southern France, southern French area. So all of this uh, leads, as I say, right on through to uh, to uh, the King Arthur legends, and uh, and this means that we were also, to a, to a degree, influenced by the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and that eventually, of course, came forth as the Da Vinci Code, and as I'm sure most of you are aware. So we are very, very much uh, in tune with uh, the uh, the idea of Mary Magdalene being the last the last priestess of Astarte and and Jesus being the last uh, you know the last uh, representation of the priest of Baal <laughs> and trying to restore restore the temple El the temple to El uh, the the compassionate Father God. And and so um, this is what lies behind, and also most importantly, to balance to have a to have a religion and and a, and a magical philosophy that balances the male and the female elements. We have male and female visages of the archangels, and we 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 try to we try to make this balance all the way through to keep the, the male and female archetypes balanced. And uh, this is something, of course, that Christianity doesn't do, and presently, and Judaism doesn't do, and certainly Islam doesn't do. So what we're trying to do is to get back to the roots and reestablish a balanced, a balanced religion. Now, um, I uh, I want to uh, point out a few other books uh, that uh, that relate to this that I think that influenced us. And one of them is Raphael Patiz, the Hebrew goddess. And I really think that, that if you have a problem uh, with, with, uh, uh, with thinking that, that Ashtaroth uh, is actually a demon and not a goddess, I really, really encourage you to read Raphael Patiz, the Hebrew goddess. And because he shows that, that this, this, this goddess has been has been with the Jews all the way through. And they just kept denying her and denying her and denying her. And of course their their fear of uh their their uh their fear of the goddess and her and, and her, her hold over the over the people is all through the Bible as you can tell they they, they continually fulminate against Paul and Astarte. And uh, and yet that that is the, the tradition she is the traditional goddess. And so we we feel that she is uh she represents nature and represents the heavens and and represents the the the, the female side of 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 divinity and uh and consequently uh the balance is is one of our major and to restore this balance is one of our major purposes and to make in a sense what we're doing here is we're we're uh bringing back the archetypes that uh, that Jung and 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 a uh, number of, of people have, well, all of the Hermetic magicians of the Renaissance 
they all believed in these female these these female archetypes, and they believed that we should uh, that we should honor them. So what we're trying to do is to recreate that balance, and and make it uh, make it work for us. And so it's no longer necessary to if to, if, you're, if you're looking for the goddess and if you're looking for a balanced uh, uh, concept in that regard, it's no longer necessary to to join a witchcraft coven because we have we we're, we we're trying to we're trying to bring her back now uh after i uh, got my master's degree i did i went into did two things after that the first thing i did was go through every degree of masonry and and uh, and the more i did when i went through all the blue lodge and i went then i went through uh scottish rite then i went through york rite and uh and so I got as much masonry under my belt as I possibly could, and that just more and more and more confirmed uh, what what I was the vision that I that I was developing. It really, it confirmed it because Solomon, I realized in masonry that Solomon uh, and 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 Hiram and and Hiram of Tyre and King Hiram of Tyre and Hiram the architect. Uh, here we have uh, the Jewish king Solomon and and Hiram, uh, the Phoenician king Hiram, and then this Phoenician Hiram Abiff, who is half Jewish and half Phoenician, is a Phoenician father and a Jewish mother, and he is the architect and he represents the common man, and the two kings, they they both worship El. And they're building the temple to El, uh, and and they got Phoenicians and Jews working together under this architect who is half Phoenician and half Jewish. And I realized uh, that all through this that this that the the answer here is these the here are the here are the, the pagan so-called pagan Phoenicians and the the, the so-called non-pagan Jews are all working together to build the temple to the Father God, to the one Father God, El, and who they both worship, because this is obvious that, that Solomon, at this point, uh, you know, he has to be a worshiper of El. Uh, and half the, by the way, half the books in the Bible are, are, uh, are books that are that are that are dedicated to L, and the other half are are, are Yahweh or Yah. So so uh, Solomon is definitely, although I'm not sure that that kings falls. In, I don't know what category kings falls into, but it seems obvious to me that L was Solomon's god because when he goes to to Hiram and says, "I want to build a temple to the Lord, to God." And Hiram says, God, I'll help you. Well, who's God are they praising? Obviously, that's so. Jesus uh, is a priest. According to Paul, three times he said, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not after the order of Aaron, after the order of Melchizedek. Well, Melchizedek was certainly a priest of El. He wasn't a priest of, of, of Yahweh. So, um, um this is this is what we uh, were trying to get across, and, and my my Masonic experience underlined this over and over and over again. And after my Masonic experience, then I uh, fortunately uh, I had a chance to do something I'd always wanted to do. The um, 
the sake order from Dharamsala came to town, and one of my professors was a member and uh, in anthropology, and he sent me up to take the uh, to take the Bajriogini course from uh, from uh, uh, loading Ken Renpoche. Uh, the sake order as he and his and his initiating and training crew came into town. So for for uh oh for nine week nine days we took an intensive uh and uh, initiations and then for weeks and weeks and weeks we studied Bashriogini, which is the which is the Tibetan counterpart to Astarte or Anak. So I had a chance to, to uh, to do this from a from a Buddhist point of view, and and uh, this was really really helpful because quite a while back we had developed uh, based upon uh, uh, our research we developed a yoga system, uh, middle pillar extended middle pillar yoga system that uh, that we uh, that we uh, we used. To to bring these uh, the gods and the goddesses to life, we had we had all of our Canaanite gods and goddesses indwelling in these psychic centers. Well, I discovered with uh, with the Tibetans that my gosh, they have they have a, a different psychic center system uh, for every deity they practice, and and uh, so I, I learned a lot about how to from them. I learned about a lot about how to visualize these these gods and goddesses in these in these different psychic centers so that helped our yoga program and uh and we're right now i'm I'm putting together the book on the yoga program so that should be out that should be out hopefully knock on wood by next month uh now uh as i said they most recently we've had two books that have just been published just this last year that have as far as i'm concerned completely confirmed our 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 track through the Nicene document from ritual to romance all the way up to the to the grail. One of these books is by our friend Karim Alcusa over in uh, in Lebanon and it's called Jesus the Phoenician. And this he 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 presents evidence that Jesus was primarily Canaanite, primarily a Phoenician, and and certainly, you know, a devotee of El. And and frankly, I think Akasim's evidence that he presents in his book is very very convincing, and we agree with this, of course, that Jesus was primarily uh, a. Uh, primarily Canaanite and primarily in that tradition and trying to restore El. And the other book, which goes right along with this with a, this whole sequence of the Nessian document, the other book is The Lost Gospel of, of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And this is by... Uh, an Israeli by the name of Sasha, uh, Shama Jacobovici, Shima Jacobovici, it's the same fellow that wrote the Jesus tomb. 
and his co his uh, co writer Barry Wilson. This is called the Lost Gospel, and this is this this fascinating allegory uh, of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. This Valentinian Christian allegory, uh, originally written in Greek, but translated into Syriac, and uh, buried in the British Museum, and it uh, it is. Um, uh, the story is based upon, it's an allegory based upon Joseph, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the famous dream coat Joseph, the original patriarch in Genesis, uh, who became the, who became the Pharaoh's grand wazir, you know, and, uh, and his Egyptian wife, Aseneth, and this is, uh, uh Jacob Bovici and Wilson present uh, I believe overwhelming evidence and 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 corroborative evidence to support the idea that this is a a Valentinian Christian allegory, not really the story of of J- Joseph and Asenath, but it, but it's an allegory of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And I think when you read it, you'll realize that they're right about that. And uh, this confirms. Not only does it confirm uh, 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 the Nicene document and from ritual to Romans, but it also confirms quite a Rapola connection. And that, that of course, is, is absolutely fascinating. And it also lends me to suspect that Valentine Andrea, who wrote The Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz, also had a copy of this of this. Uh, uh, Joseph and Asenath. And apparently it, it, this Joseph and Asenath document really circulated among the uh, among the Rosicrucians. Now, uh, this, uh, so I want to I want to stress some of the books that, that, that I think uh, really, really ought to be uh, ought to be looked at uh, in order to understand what we're what we're doing here. <clears throat> and I think the Hebrew goddess, of course, is one. That's Raphael Petit, and I think, uh, and I think that that that, that uh, and I'm going to I'm going to say the Bach Arts by Cavendish because he underlines that that Baal and Astarte are definitely Baal and Astarte, and uh, the uh, let's uh, let's say uh, also Cornelius Agrippa, and uh, that's the, the three books of Cornelius Agrippa, and uh, his version of of uh Hermes Trismegistus uh confirming the 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 three the three holy guardian angels. I think that's that's one you should definitely look at. And uh then uh that now when I talk about the Nicene document with of Hippolytus, uh the best source the source I used on this and I reconstructed uh uh, uh, Marcus's Soma Sophia, his celestial tablature is based on this, is Hippolytus's refutation of all heresies. And you can find that online in the Gnostic Library. So uh, so go to the Gnostic Library and, and well, Google, Google Hippolytus refutation of all heresies, Gnostic Library. You'll get there. You'll get there. And he's got it all. And uh, if you can't find it there, you can use the version that Jesse Weston used, 
and that is in uh, in GRS Meads, Thrice Greatest Hermes, which means, as far as GRS Mead is concerned, and that's the end document, it's a hermetic document, and I would agree with that, because uh, Hippolytus said about uh, Marcus, he said, oh, he's more Pythagorean than Christian. Well, as it turns out, it's beginning to look like uh, the Christians were more, more Pythagorean than Christian. And, and uh, Valentinian, Valentinian Gnosticism, um, Valentinian himself almost became Pope at one point in, in the early in the history of Christianity. But the Valentinians definitely considered that the, the sacred marriage of Jesus and Mary Magdalene was the passion of Christ. That was the passion. And they venerated that sacred marriage much more than the crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, and so those are things that we need to, to realize. And that's another thing, another reason, another uh, reason why we have, we have been, uh, one of the things we're trying to do is, is to, uh, get away from this idea that sex is some kind of original sin. There, there's no, sex is not a sin. Uh, the hieros gamos, the sacred marriage, should be between a man and a woman who love each other and want to, and, you know, want to have a family, and it's not, uh, it's not a license for promiscuity. And uh, uh, whereas, unfortunately, uh, it has been seen that way by, well, it was even the early Christians, the early, the early uh, Paulian Christians. They all, the Paulian Christians were very much against the Valentinians and probably were responsible for eventually driving them out and and persecuting them and driving them out uh, because the Pauli, the you know well, as you as you are, I'm sure you're aware the the Paul the the Pauline Christians were just just really um, anti-sex Paul was anti-sex and uh, and uh, so what we're trying to do is and this is another thing about uh, the pagan community should should appreciate this that that um, what we're trying to do, and I don't necessarily paganize Christianity, uh, but on the other hand, we we are attempting to Christianize paganism. <laughs> I suppose you might say that. Uh, in any case, what we're trying to do is get the whole Western tradition back on track. Get it back on track. Have it go the way it's supposed to, and have and have the things that are sacred be sacred and not be profane, and and to uh, to bring back the mystery of uh, and, and put the beautiful mystery of of the sacred marriage, the beautiful mystery of of uh, of uh, the of all these people working together to build the temple of the Lord, and the Lord being being a compassionate a compassionate father and mother, um, and and to try to to to, to, uh, to try to uh, have people realize the great hermetic secret that you are immortal. You know, you uh, as long as you have consciousness, and you're aware that you have consciousness, and you're aware that you're the only consciousness that you are aware of that's the big secret of, of hermetic philosophy if uh, I have consciousness and I'm aware of it 
Uh, and I'm not aware of anyone else's consciousness. They may not have it, even though I'm sure they do. But 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 uh, but uh, I can't uh, I can't convince them of it unless unless they have the same kind of enlightenment. But so this enlightenment is what we're trying to get at, and what we're trying to trying to get people to realize that that the resurrection, the Jesus resurrection, really, and the message uh, is is. Um, the message of the resurrection is, if you have consciousness, then you will sit at the right hand of the Lord. Now, another thing I want to point out before we close is the gospel of Mary Magdalene in the Nag Hammadi Library. And if you recall, she was a power. Mary Magdalene was a power in the early church after Jesus passed on. She was a power in the early church, and she was put down by the Paulians. They did manage to, they just about, and this is pretty obvious as you read the book of Revelation. You see this conflict going. Now, uh, one of the things uh, about that the gospel of Mary Magdalene in the Nag Hammadi uh, text, the disciples come to Mary after Jesus dies because they know she's the one who saw him after he was resurrected. And they said, Mary, did he tell you anything uh, that that he didn't tell us because we know you were closer to him than, than we were? And Mary says, well, yes, uh, he did, and I will share it with you. And then Mary proceeds to give them the formulas of ascension. And they are the formulas which the same the same type of ascension that we use in our hermetic yoga uh, um, system. And she gives them this this ascension up the spears, and and she gives them the formulas, and uh, and she says yes, this is how he instructed me, and so then they go out, they they know this, and then they they base that on the on, on the teachings, and uh, this is when you read this, you you realize the power and the the disposition that she had. Now, it's, it's toward the end of the Nag Hammadi Library. Uh, it's called the Gospel of Mary, and uh, I encourage all of you that have the Nag Hammadi Library to, to, to read it. So, uh, though that is, is, uh, that is uh, I think, a, a give, give you a picture of uh, the way this, this whole thing developed over a period of time and where it's going, and where it's been, and I think by that, by looking at this, you realize that we are really, uh, we're really not uh, uh, doing. We're certainly not doing black magic, and we're certainly not, uh, we're certainly not uh, 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 conjuring evil spirits to, for you know, for any other purpose than than, than a good purpose, and we're certainly. Uh, our hearts are in the right place, I'm sure, and and we're going in the right direction. And uh, so those books that I mentioned that those that you jotted down, you might want to, if you really really want to be inspired in 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 this line, I would I would certainly check them out. And uh, so and uh, next week um, next week I. Uh, we don't have anything particularly planned. We'll see if we can get another guest. Uh, see if we can get a guest on uh, that we can have a we can have a, uh, a figure 
uh, and and uh, and we'll uh, we'll have another interesting session and talking about hermetic philosophy and and uh, and and hermetic techniques, magic and methods. And and until then, Merry Christmas and good magic. <laughs>